0: The sun does not always shine in West Virginia, but the people always do, and so I'm delighted to be here.
1: These are historic times in Appalachia. A lot has changed, a lot is changing now, and a lot still needs to change. In our podcast, we talk with change makers right square in the middle of all this, working to ensure the change is for the good.
0: We're listening to Change in the Coalfields podcast by Coalfield Development. I'm your guest host, Ashley Stinnett. Welcome, Notre Dame crew, to the podcast. Typically, Brandon is sitting in this desk, but I am guest hosting, and we will keep this conversation very casual. What was the process? How did you all hear about, like, who are these Coalfield people? Where the heck is Appalachia? Which, for the record, it is Appalachia, not Appalachia. Walk us through that. How did you like Coalfield, Appalachia? What is West Virginia? Why am I going? All of that.
2: Ashley, I know that you said you don't want to be the teacher. You want to be casual, but I, I am the teacher. So now I'm going to be the teacher. I'd actually love to hear from one of the students first about what their reaction was, you know, they, they knew Appalachia and coalfield development were part of our Front Lines in America course. So what were some of those early thoughts that you had? And when you found out that this was the team that you would be on.
3: Yeah. So I did not know that's how you pronounce Appalachia, but forever now I will just think about throwing apples at people when I think of Appalachia. So that's Perfect.
0: Um, well wait a minute, and Michael before you get into this, you're wearing green. Now, is this for your Alma Mater or is it for Marshall? I'm
3: going to go with my Alma Mater. I mean, <laughs> I was in West Virginia. It was great. I love the people at Marshall, but but I I am a Notre Dame student through and through. So, so we're totally going to go right.
0: with And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that.
3: Yeah. So yeah, so um you know, I applied to come to West Virginia. Um, I, I really did not know much about Appalachian and West Virginia in general, um, but but I've I've learned a lot through the process. Um, you know, I knew that that West Virginia has had its struggles related to to coal mining and and the opioid crisis, um, but but our trip and our project has really you know helped me see, I guess how how that is truly affecting west virginia um, but but in terms of of working with coalfield um, yeah I, I I wanted to work with a, with a company that works with with rural entrepreneurs and and people in in rural america and and the west virginia um, uh, project and and here with coalfield you know has allowed me to do that and and I've really enjoyed kind of getting to know um more about West Virginia, more about Coalfield and more about how they're working with people in these very small towns with, with so many struggles and, and helping, you know, bring life and energy and, and passion and, and pride back in, back into those towns.
0: And you all are, um, so the, the involvement that you've been in with our organization has been invaluable and we really appreciate that. Why? MBA students, you know, grad students is, I've been there and done that. You all are very much wiser beyond your years than what I ever was. <laughs> so just, we deeply appreciate, I mean, there's not a conversation that, you know, we have almost every week or every other week where we don't, uh, you know, you all are brought up in that conversation and the great work that you're doing for us. And the level of commitment and 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 care that you're putting into that. So, thank that's a you
2: great much, moment. Like the pleasure is really ours; it is very much mutual. Please go ahead, Dylan.
4: Yeah, I think that's a great moment to give a little bit of a pitch for Notre Dame, also. Because I don't know, you know, I've spent a lot of time with these guys. I think we're we're pretty fun. I don't know if I would call us a bunch of wise old sages, though. Uh, I think more so, you know, we we have the privilege of being in uh, in a program and at a school that really focuses on. You know, deploying people that can use their skills and their knowledge for good. So that I think it's more than anything. I think it's a great pitch for Notre Dame, even if we're not too great on the gridiron this year.
0: Hey, but you know what? Better than what our trajectory is right now. (laughs) We were talking right before we came on. You know, little old Marshall goes to South Bend, wins, which was unheard of, and then we have snatched. Uh, defeat from the jaws of victory somehow because we, our season is now not that great. You guys are rebounding. So,
1: I don't but, know. We just lost to a one in four Stanford team. So, yeah, uh,
0: that's true. That's, uh, yeah, we're a little rocky
1: still. So,
0: speaking of football, was there a little bit, did you guys get a chance to uh, get over to campus? Did you check out Marshall and the stadium and? Probably significantly smaller than what you're accustomed to. Lots of history here. I don't know if you guys have seen the uh the, the film We Are Marshall, but you know, a lot of history with the uh, the plane crash here in Huntington and 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 that. So um but uh so so you're you're now on board with Coalfield and you you arrive for the first time, because had any of you all been to, well, I guess had anybody been to West Virginia prior to that, or if you have been to this part of West Virginia, because geographically we're actually a pretty large state.
5: I would say West Virginia was the first time for me. It's just funny. I being in Huntington, I didn't realize looking across the river both ways, I would, like was Kentucky and Ohio, which I have spent a lot of time there. Having like been from Indiana, gone to Indiana University, and so it's closer to the southern part of the state, which is closer to Kentucky. A lot of Ohio, Ohio people coming through so it, I think what shocked me the most coming here was actually like how close it was and I was like why haven't I been here yet um so yeah that was it was the first time experience for me um heading down there
4: kind of a similar uh experience for me also sorry I don't mean to cut you off but it's a similar thing for me because I spent four years in Pittsburgh and you know I, I think I had driven through the northern panhandle a couple of times uh, uh, I, I played baseball in a school. My conference was in the northern part of West Virginia, so I kind of thought I knew a little bit about West Virginia. But then you come down, and it's you know, once you get um, you know to be in the southern part of the state, you really can feel the difference for
5: sure.
0: It is very different. I mean, geographically, it's pretty spread out uh, from the southern coal fields all the way over to the Eastern Panhandle, which you're almost in DC. You know, it's the whole Maryland Virginia area. People sound totally different. When you get up north to the, you know, like I've got a buddy that lives up in Hancock County in a little town called Chester, and he is actually geographically north of Pittsburgh. He actually has to drive down to get to Pittsburgh. He's only about 40, 45 minutes away. They all sound like northern Ohio. You know, they got that whole accent going on, and then you get down here, and everybody sounds like me, and and so it's all scattered. A lot of people, a lot of people outside looking in don't realize that they probably just think everybody sounds like I do, but not true. Not true. It's
5: so it's really interesting to see just cause like, so I'm from Northern Indiana. I grew up 30 minutes from Notre Dame and I sound like I'm from Northern Ohio, but if you drive like three hours South, it's, I have some best friends who I went to school with who are from like Southern Indiana. Um, and they have more of like that southern accent, and' it's, it's interesting. I f- like we're like right up that line, I feel like, where it's just like a microcosm of like the whole United States. Um, <laughs> so it's really interesting to see in here. Um, yeah, that, uh, my friend who actually lives in Southern Indiana, like moved to Texas. It's just gotten like <laughs> the accent's just gotten thicker, which is um, <laughs> pretty funny, but it suits him for sure.
3: So, so, so Ashley, Ashley, yeah. let me ask you this. Do you say you all or y'all? Because when I was in West Virginia, I heard a lot of people say you all like pretty fast, but there was a yeah. definite you and a definite all instead of like y'all.
0: So y'all has almost become like a a Kentucky brand. I've got a lot of family in Kentucky and, you know, growing up in Huntington, we're only Two hours east of uh, Lexington, so lots of UK fans. I mean, I'm I'm I grew up, you know, I'm a UK fan as well, and love the area. And they, oh, I see some thumbs down. Uh oh. So you know, Y'all is a big brand in Kentucky, much like the beverage Ale Eight. You guys have ever heard of Ale Eight? It's a huge, huge uh, brand over in Kentucky. So Y'all is definitely. I think more bluegrass lingo, but you know, we've got ain't and we've got our own <laughs> we have our own language here. So navigating that can be challenging at times. But if you stay here long enough, it'll rub off on you. Oh yeah.
1: I was in Texas for six years. I, I used to always say you all, and now it's just y'all. Yeah. Right, y'all. There there, there isn't anything else. Unless yeah, Some people for a little too long, they you start changing me again. But I was going to say, know. Jack, they start coming out of you throughout a week in West Virginia. Oh All yeah, there. I was like, I was like once <laughs> once I hit it, I was like, oh here it comes, it comes the action.
2: Well, you guys need to go experience Minnesota and Wisconsin, where I'm from. There's a lot of use guys. Use <laughs> you guys. Use guys. Whoa. I know.
0: It's cool though, right? I mean, it's just the the diversity the like it's it's really awesome to uh to hear that and uh you know and that's why I encourage people to travel i mean you know just get out there and experience all these cool things so you all you all y'all <laughs> when you got when you got down here and it was like um talk a bit about you know when you first get to West Virginia like was it just Best way to do this is to take a dive off the into the deep end of the pool, or did you like start? Did you dip your toes in the water? Kind of walk us through that process. So we so this course
5: before we came to West Virginia, we started working with Chris here about seven weeks beforehand, and so there was a lot of research on on our end, and then also just like you know, apart from like all the research, academic research and data, there's a lot of uh, logistics and event planning. I Don't think the four of us are that capable. <laughs> um, but it was interesting to see like sort of it, it's one thing to just like call up, email people, put down meetings with different entrepreneurs throughout West Virginia. Um, like on paper, it looked pretty planned out. But I would say like, you know, once we got there, it was sort of just like go at it. I, I feel like it's very different to like Google stuff, read stuff off of paper versus being there boots on the ground in person. Um so, you know, I think we sort of thought we had it all planned out. Um, but Kelly says a lot too, like gear up for some serendipity and all that. Um, just because, you know, you sort of just gotta like roll with the punches.
0: When you start talking to p- folks, particularly in that entrepreneurial realm, what like what did you learn right out of the gate? Or what stood out like challenges, maybe even not so much challenges, just how was that?
5: I can go unless yeah. someone else, everyone else, please jump into. For me, it's, it was a very inspirational week. I, you know, every entrepreneur met was just like such an expert at their craft and had such a drive that made me think, what the heck am I doing with my life? Like it was just so impressive to see. And there was a lot of like a hope there, especially after, you know, with a lot of like the, low workforce participation rate and the opioid crisis, you, you just saw like a lot of light um, with these people. But as you mentioned, there were some challenges. And at the same time, I was also super fired up um, when I heard about the things some of these entrepreneurs had to go through, whether it was not being able to secure bank loans or anything like that, when, you know, just a lot of like things they had to go through that they shouldn't have had had to gone through. But yet, still at the end, still seeing them so successful, still so happy, still wanting to do more, whether it's for the company, for West Virginia, you know that pride. You definitely felt a lot of West Virginia pride, not just with the entrepreneurs, but with through everyone we met, but especially with them. You know, they they loved what they do, and that was so awesome to see. I was very very grateful for all that.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I think for me, I was amazed by the the grittiness of the entrepreneurs um so myself and then an advisor who's not on this call spent some time down in the Gilbert Matewan area and uh we kind of you know we met with Caleb at Highwall for a while and that was awesome and and he truly is awesome but then we kind of went off script and just started visiting places and we visited a restaurant and we visited a a beef jerky company and we visited this um Lodging place, and 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 that each of them we we talked to the people, and and all three of them were were fairly new starts, but they all had you know pretty deep roots in the area, um, and yeah, a lot of pride, a lot of desire to 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 really build w- what they were working at, whether it's the restaurant or the beef jerky company, um, and, and and then also challenges. I mean, each one of them outlined a different challenge, whether that's financing related or the need for more specialty, you know, talent, such as like graphic design or marketing or stuff that's that's difficult to find, you know, in far southern West Virginia. And but they were all extremely talented. Um, yeah, just just really gritty. You know, they had challenges in various ways. And they, you know, told story after story about how they were able to to overcome some of them. And but, but yet I think there's also opportunity to, to provide some additional resources for people like that um, just to, to make their lives both easier and then allow them to grow and, and really be a positive force there.
0: And one cool thing, as you all are aware, you know, starting a business is extremely difficult. And especially in that first year, a lot of business, new businesses fail. And a lot of people will start, you know, they'll go through one, two, three businesses. I mean, it takes multiple ventures to really get something off the ground. And a lot of people struggle to get access for these resources. So maybe talk a little bit about, you know, when you're talking to folks in these communities, uh, because some of these communities are pretty rural, I mean, even in by our standards, I mean, they may not be. In Huntington, where there's or Charleston, the two largest cities where there are there's more resources for entrepreneurs, small businesses, so they're out their way. Like, what's some of the challenges you all like talking about? You know, people telling stories and things like that. What are some of the challenges you all were hearing about?
4: We were we were told one story uh, by a guy who you know had resumed a business that had started in his family's in the 1920s. His name was Trey at Greenbrier Dairy. Um, and just the complete lack of willingness by a lot of people to, to even consider working with him, um, you know, for, you know, for various reasons, he was in, uh, the town of right which I think was about 800 people. So there's not a ton of access to resources in general. Uh, the labor force is a little bit, um, you know, is difficult and that's something that was a central focus in our project. Um, but even traditional institutions, you know, were, were difficult, uh, in dealing with. You know he had a hard time getting money at all um, you know or at least getting money uh, without some you know outright ridiculous stipulations like three hundred percent collateral I mean you know so it's it's really you know people are faced with a decision between uh you know taking massive personal risk to rely on traditional institutions or you know just completely doing it themselves I mean we've we heard numerous stories from numerous people about saying, I'm not, you know, I, I don't have the money to pay somebody to build this building for me. So I'm going to take as much time as I need to and just do it myself. Um, you know, so from that perspective, the landscape is really difficult because you just don't have the support, um, whether that be financially or, uh, you know, or personnel wise that
1: people in a lot of different areas have. We, we noticed that. Um the individuals we talked to were very confident in themselves and uh, their products or their brand. Um, And they kept talking to us about risk and we'd ask them like, Oh, uh, how did you navigate the risk associated with this? And they were just really confident in themselves that they could do it. And what we've noticed is from talking with them, is a lot of people struggle with that. So they don't have a fallback option if they do this. And there's a lot that they can lose if it doesn't pan out. Um so a lot of these successful entrepreneurs kind of had to take that leap of faith and and hope that was going to turn out well um or be fine with with the consequences and know that failure is okay and be able to build back from that um I think everyone we talked to had some uh hurdle they had to go through to get to where they are from trade to uh, mountain steer um to others it was just working hard and pushing through those hurdles and understanding the risk of being will, willing to navigate it when it rises.
3: And, and I think to go off that a little bit, you know, one thing that we heard a lot is there's not always a lot of support from family or friends when, when people are, you know, going after more risky endeavors or, or trying to start something. You know, I, I know a line someone said to me, I don't remember who it was, but it, it was in the Gilbert Matewan area. when When people Hear that a new business is starting, they just expect that it'll be gone in in three months or something. Um, and, and I think the number of people who are, you know, saying no, 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 that won't work, that that's a big hurdle. Um, and, and you know, C- Caleb at Highwalls told me a big thing people need is just someone who's willing to say yes. Um, and and so, yeah that that was that was really impactful for me and. And yeah, yeah, you know, how how can we help bring more yeses to these to these young entrepreneurs.
2: So what I love here that the students have all said, you know, 2 weeks ago before they had been to West Virginia, they could tell you the difference in, you know, venture capital funding that West Virginia had gotten in comparison to Ohio and Kentucky and the national average and all of the underlying economics That perhaps pose threats or opportunities to the entrepreneurship sector of West Virginia. And I love that the stories they're sharing here today are those human stories. You know, one of the other partners we work alongside in our Frontlines in America course um, is Homeboy Industries. And Father Greg at Homeboy Industries says, you know, kinship is not serving the other, but being one with the other. And I think that these students clearly. During their time in West Virginia, we're just accompanying the entrepreneurs to learn from them to better understand the, you know, the all of the challenges, individual, human, economic, um, on top of all of the robust data gathering they had done before ever, you know, coming to meet Coalfield that first day.
0: That's all. That's really cool. I'm just, I'm I'm soaking all this in because this is the first time I'm hearing this as well. So it's really fascinating. Um, and we, this conversation is coming uh, shortly after we just wrapped up the Appalachian Social Enterprise Summit here at Marshall, and uh, had some other universities involved. Lots of entrepreneurs, practitioners, and it's it's really interesting when you um, when you talk about entrepreneurship and social entrepreneurship. A lot of people don't realize that many current practitioners many people that have a business are engaged in the social entrepreneur side and they just don't realize that in in some aspect they're not they're not maybe they don't even know what it means so they're not calling themselves that what's your experience what you all what are, what is some experience with that like the social entrepreneurship side and was there any moments where you were in, in talking to these folks, was there any moments where you were like, hey, this person has a social entrepreneurship, or maybe they're thinking that way and they just maybe don't really know the definition? Or was, did any of that come up at any point?
5: I don't know if it came up. It definitely came up um, explicitly when we first started partnering with Chris and he talked about sort of demystifying what social enterprise is. And we actually had bunch of conversations throughout the week like what are we trying in terms of like coalfield and us doing this project on the seed fund like what companies are you trying to sort of like target to support and it goes back to that social enterprise but then you know you have you have companies like trey at Greenbrier dairy that you know he's he's so about helping his community he wants so you know he's employed folks who are in their second stage of recovery um and he's you know he's explicitly said like i'm you know i want my business to sort of like help my community succeed and then you have guys we talked to a few other companies where it's you know all as well like you want to make some money which is great but you know when we asked us sort of about you know empowering employees and things like that you know they talked about like i want to provide health insurance so i want to provide like a healthy like a healthy living wage you know i think those seem like basic standards but a lot of times especially within like that startup space it's hard to even provide that so even having that top of mind i think has a social impact especially when you're thinking about the workforce participation rate or you know those in recovery who have hard time who have those barriers to employment um, you know, i think it was you know never so explicit but at the same time like it always came up because you know as your company grows you need to hire people Um, and I think that's been a large focus and will continue to be in our project of sort of like, what, what's that standard? What can we provide the employees? So not to just give them a job, but have it be sustainable, have it, have them come back every day, have them, you know, enjoy their job, be proud of their work. Um, I think, like you said, I think some people, some uh, companies don't even realize they're doing it, but for me personally, I think that, that does a lot.
1: Just like meeting sort of like those, what people think as that basics, um, those basic needs.
3: Yeah, I, I think a lot of places we visited had components of, of social entrepreneurship in them. I mean, even places that like, you know, we visited some some companies in Hinton and and through that, we learned that because of their success, other companies are starting in Hinton. And other companies are bringing good, and other companies are revitalizing downtown and employing people there and, and bringing outside money into the community and, and for somewhere you know like Hinton, that I'm, I'm sure has historically had struggles, I mean that's huge. That's so impactful for that community And, and, and I think we saw a lot of that in, in a lot of the places we visited, where a company's coming in, and, and yeah, maybe their mission is. I want to build a successful company and make money, but because of their success, other companies are starting or other people are able to be employed and the community is improving as a result of, of the additional funds or the additional willpower or just, you know, seeing that that guy succeeded. So I think I can succeed too.
0: That's interesting it's- you say that because uh, Caleb was my first guest today and we talked about you know, a rising tide lifts all ships and how there is this economic diversification, economic rebuild that's happening right now here in the heart of Appalachia. And we're trying to move more options to the table so we're not, you know, less one-dimensional or two-dimensional, more multi-dimensional in achieving that economic diversification goal is that something that when you guys, you know, when you all were out chatting with the folks, these uh, entrepreneurial minded folks, and um, is that something that came up too is like, I know there's a, I know there's sometimes a fear of failure, but you know, Michael, you said it sparked conversation to other people to want to do the same thing. Was that just, I mean, did you see that in, in different areas like, it was almost like people were kind of getting pumped up, like, hey, I want to do that too. And because, you know, you all touched on something earlier, there's not really been a lot of cheerleaders for that around here. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we did see some of
3: that. And, and obviously, there's still struggles. And, you know, there were still communities that we went to that I, I don't know that's necessarily the case. But I know specifically in Hinton, when we visited there, that that was the case. I mean, I I think in the Gilbert area, um, you know, th- this this older gentleman who had purchased this school and fixed it up and started adding some lodging, and then he provided a space for the beef jerky company to open up, and and now they're kind of partnering together to see you know how big and how far that can go, and you know that school kind of has set up a you know a, a, a grounds basically for for these two different. Talented individuals to, to kind of meet and and join forces in a way and and they might not have ever connected if it hadn't been for hey, you've got this school that you've you know started to fix up here, I need some space for my company. can I move here and then oh you you know both people have have their different talents and ambitions how can how can they kind of come together so, so i I think that was that was really cool and 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 I think you know we heard that there are more ideas and there's more talent and more peoples in these communities. Um, You know, so I, I think a big step is, you know, how can we support that? How can we help that talent emerge? And, And as more of it comes out, I think more will emerge from the woodwork.
2: And I, I think that reflects one of the core capabilities of Coalfield Development. You know, last year, our team spent almost their entire time immersed in Mingo County looking at ecotourism and just walking around the different towns and talking to folks. You know, people knew Coalfield Development because they had come in, they had revitalized specific buildings, you know, made the Main Street and Mate One just look that much more inviting. And so I think in many ways, Coalfield development becomes this catalyst for communities that makes it easier for people to come together and support each other in the way that Michael described.
5: I think going off that, too, um, obviously, we've met with a lot of entrepreneurs, um, worked a lot with Coalfield. We were also able to meet with other supporting organizations or other organizations that support small businesses and sort of see the beginning of sort of like that ecosystem of. Like Michael was saying, there's all these great ideas and just like taking that next step, but you know, apart from seeing other businesses thrive, actually giving them the capital and the resources to do that. Um, so it was, you know, with Coalfield, you know, obviously like such a big name and such a big presence throughout West Virginia. But I think Coalfield combined with like the other organizations we saw as well. Um, again, I feel like, I feel like there's a lot coming. I feel like there's a lot coming and a lot of people sort of like getting on board um, than there have been in the past. So it's really exciting. It was really exciting to see.
4: There were a lot of creative ways it was done, too. Like we talked to uh, Dr. Carrie White at the West Virginia University Launch Lab. And she talked about a program that they've started called My Hometown is Cool, that they're pitching to high school students and uh, middle school students. Where they you know where they're going to these schools and they're telling the kids what do you not like about your t- about your hometown, whether this be you know maybe it could be Charleston, but it, a lot of the time it's the, the more remote parts of West Virginia, the smaller towns that have a lot of struggles, and instead of encouraging uh, people to complain about these problems, they're telling them, you have the opportunity to fix it, and we want to help you do that. Um, so there's a lot of organizations who are going into places where there isn't necessarily a cheerleader trying to be that cheerleader and helping people kind of like develop a stake in their town. So that it becomes more of a, you know, more of a personal place to them than just a place to live.
5: Very cool about that cheerleader thing too. I do not want to play favorites, but we brought up in a couple of times. I've got to shout them out. I had, I had the greatest afternoon there. We had lunch at lucky rivers restaurant it was founded by Sarah. And then I went and bought a plant from botany tropical from Jordan his group. So both again, everything we've talked about being gritty and all that, but I was, I left him and like wanting to go back. Ashley, I don't know if you've been down there, but.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Please tell me, please tell me that you all have had a pepperoni roll from this state. I'm seeing some nodding. Um, some <laughs> What's a pepperoni You know, you know, you know why we didn't <laughs> I'm have not pepperoni talk- roll?
2: I asked them this I exact question earlier you know, this You know why? Not the frozen little it?
0: things you get at Walmart at Kroger. Not that. No, that's, that's trash.
5: So your so pepperoni B- rolls. So Dylan spent a lot of time in Pittsburgh and he's like, guys, there's this gas station called sheets. We must have gone to like 10 sheets. And I feel like that was half my meal. So if anything, if you can blame Dylan, why I didn't have a pepperoni roll. <laughs> <laughs> I did have, what did, what did you give me Dylan? Like made
4: everybody have a fried Oreo. So, awesome. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that counts as a cultural experience or not, <laughs> but everything, everything deep fried.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you know, other other thing too, speaking of food, hot dogs, sauce or chili? On the dog, sauce or chili? What do you say? I want sauce on it or I want chili on it? Oh, I want chili me? on it. All right. Chili. Two for chili. Ah.
4: <laughs>
5: I, I want both. <laughs> I to <laughs> load my <laughs> hot dog.
0: <laughs> so what you needed to do is go to Hillbilly Hot Dogs. You can get any kind of a hot dog you can imagine. Pizza dogs are amazing. They don't sponsor this show, but they should because <laughs> I'm getting them. I'm giving them huge props. But uh, yeah, when you're you know the hot dogs, the pepperoni rolls are are a cuisine here.
2: So you know our our first year working with Coalfield Development, which was actually the year that we launched the Frontlines in America course. It was 2020. You know what a time to launch an experiential learning course. So. We could not even go to West Virginia because of the COVID protocol, Um, but we did find a way to safely bring Chris Yura back to campus. And so he wanted to bring a taste of West Virginia with him to Notre Dame for that team who couldn't experience West Virginia. So he had all kinds of pepperoni rolls and snacks and, you know, West Virginia brewed beer um, for the team to sample. So I don't know. I guess there was more pepperoni rolls on the first team that didn't even make it to West Virginia than on this team.
0: Hey, there's some good eating. I'm a foodie guy. There's some good eating all over this country, but I don't know. Was, I was,
5: it was awesome to see it. Are you based out of Huntington, Ashley? Are you like,
0: I live, so I live right in between Huntington and Charleston. I'm I'm in like the suburbia capital of, <laughs> of West Virginia. <laughs> okay. Um, where I live is pretty much it's a little bit boring. it's kind of milk toast, so I'm in uh but you got Huntington and you got Charleston. I'm right in the middle either say, area a good time is to be had okay. In okay, so I was gonna
5: say you guys you definitely you definitely had us on football when we were walking around like downtown hunting and stuff. I'm like, man, why can't South Bend needs to get no offense to South Bend. I love Notre Dame that's but- it's needs to get their act together in terms of like the bar and restaurant scene. Cause you guys had options and it was amazing. Like on, around, all around Huntington and on throughout West Virginia too. There's a lot of, everyone's always like, did you try this yet? Did you try this yet? Many, many options. And I don't think anything really disappointed, but that's
0: well, what Hunting- Huntington, Huntington is Huntington. turning into a foodie town. Huntington you can tell. has made a lot of strides to, to kind of rebranding itself as a foodie town, which is awesome uh because we desperately needed that and it is it is an it, you know and Huntington obviously is a college town so there's a lot more you know kind of drawing in younger folks um than you would find in other parts of the state but glad duly noted that when we hear about bars it's usually Morgantown WVU <laughs> It's usually more, you know, those folks up there that burn couches. That yeah, th- those those folks up up to the north of here. So, but we do love our WVU neighbors. Well, Jack was scared of them. Jack, you know, Jack, uh, you know, he Jack's a
4: big, a big Baylor fan, so he was a little nervous wearing his Baylor year-around morgan but, around. On.
1: Oh. West Virginia has my number and this year for football, I just can't. I don't know what to do. Marshall, now WVU. Right.
0: It, was a, it was a sad Thursday, I'll just say. It was a sad Thursday. And we're sitting over here in the Sunbelt Conference, and in one weekend, the weekend that Marshall beat Notre Dame, I mean, the Sunbelt Conference looked like ballers for some reason. Happy State. I mean, it was, it was pretty nuts. But I have not been to South Bend, and I desperately want to go.
2: Or consider yourself invited
0: hey i just want to experience mass as a catholic you yeah. know for the record i really want to get up there and experience that part of what what there is to offer up there so would love to do say that. part of so our
5: last session in class we went to i don't know if you're if you know father Hesberg, who's the president of Notre Dame for a long time and Kelly arranged for all of us to go to his office, which is still there and everything's still in place. And, you know, being on Notre Dame's campus is, you definitely like feel sort of like, I don't know what it is, like an R.R. vibe, but it was like next level going to Father Hesberg's office and just hearing the stories from um, Father Doyle, who sort of was like um, our guide throughout. Um, it was... I don't Kelly, I don't know if that's like available to the public or you have to plan ahead, but I don't know. It's definitely it really is such like a spiritual experience. And I something like I didn't expect coming to Notre Dame. I thought I was just gonna come get my MBA. And then it's been, I don't know, it's been it's been amazing in that sense.
2: Yeah. But, yeah. No, it's not not open to the public, but we can make special arrangements and actually we can get you there. You know, Father Hasberg. Was president of our university for decades and really took us from a you know regional college to the international stage, and in bringing Father Soren, our founder's vision to life of Notre Dame being a you know a place for good in this country and in the world. So um, we lost Father Hasberg; he passed away in 2015. So, but we have preserved his office, and it really is a spiritual place. You would love the basilica and the grotto. Um, we find so much meaning and connection to our purpose in life and to our university and its purpose um, in some of these places on campus.
0: That's fantastic. I've always wondered. I mean, I know you don't have to be a Catholic to Notre Dame, but for me personally, I feel like uh, I'm I'm a convert from Protestantism and going through the whole RCIE process, confirmation at Easter. That that I I just there's nothing like that. I mean, the, the experience is unbelievable. Sorry for cradle Catholics who did not get to experience that. But it's super remarkable. So I'm always curious if like, uh, you know, being at Notre Dame, you know, Patrick, you were talking about like this. It's a very spiritual experience. I've often wondered if people go there and maybe they're like not Catholic or maybe they're agnostic. Maybe they're atheists. Maybe they just check the, I don't really, I don't even know box. And I wonder if like being there, there's a pull. I mean, I feel like there would have to be, and I've never been.
2: Yeah. I mean, inclusion is so important in our mission, right? We want an inclusive campus and a diverse campus. And, you know, we not only have theologists and and people who are, you know, becoming priests, but it, within theology, we have a lot of specialty on all the religions of the world. And so it is a place for people who have an interest in faith and what unites us to really come together and pursue the greater good. Um, So I I do think there is this pull on a spiritual and a faith-filled level, regardless of religion. But, you know, I'd love to hear some of the students' experiences as well.
4: Um yeah. actually, I'm actually uh, reading Father Hussberg's, uh biography after, after we went and visited his office. It was kind of an inspirational moment. And uh, as part of that, uh, there's you know a big there was a major emphasis during his tenure um, on academic freedom, but as part of academic freedom, embracing Notre Dame's reputation and its existence as a Catholic university. Um, so though you can really see those two lines of thought going together um where you know the the university is what it is but it really wants to embrace everybody and you know all perspectives and really be open to debate on different uh, on different issues so it's you know it's 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 a good thing in that it opens more conversation than it closes for sure so um you know it's really it's really good for you know everybody from a lot of different perspectives and I think it really contributes to Notre Dame being a great school
3: yeah i i do think the catholic identity is is an important part of the campus. I mean, the congregation of the Holy Cross, who kind of, who runs Notre Dame, you know, they, they initially started it and, and they're still very present. Um, They're they're everywhere. I mean, there's Holy Cross priests walking around all the time. I know every dorm has a, has a mass at, at 10 PM on Sundays. And, and my friends who went to undergrad here said that, you know, pretty much everyone went to that regardless of whether they were catholic or not just because you know it, this is notre dame and, and that's what you do and you, you go with your friends and and so yeah i mean it's an extremely important part of notre dame and you know it would it was a draw for for myself you know trying wanting to continue my education and and all that and you know to to come be a part of of this culture yeah just to go off that
5: too i I personally have had a chance to revisit my faith. I'm, I'm not Catholic. Um, I'd probably say I'd lead more agnostic, but I think, yeah, Notre Dame as a place definitely sort of provides those open doors to conversations. But I think a big part of it too is the community it creates. And Michael and I had to drive back together for seven hours from West Virginia. We definitely talked about it for a couple hours. And um, it's, it's, it's great that like, I can feel that comfortable. Um, you know, like, you know, we're both at different places, um, in terms, you know, of faith and all that. And so it's, it's really cool to, I know it's comforting to sort of like be in that place. I know wherever I end up, however, I feel like I'll still feel, I guess, I don't like acceptance, right? Word, but just in a place where I know I'll be sort of supported regardless you know, of where I end up, where I'm at.
0: That's great. I appreciate those stories. That's, that's really cool. And, um, yeah, yeah. Now I'm definitely, now I definitely got to get, get up there. So I definitely, definitely want to check that box on things to Come do. Real soon.
5: Come on over. We're happy to have people. Ben, Ben Eng actually, I know he works out of there. Him and Page we're thinking about making a trip up. So oh, it'd be awesome. Caravan up here at the same time.
0: I, I, we're going to do it. I'm, yeah, I'm going to talk to Ben. And so, before we uh, before we close it out, what's your plans? Um, you know, moving forward, like what are the um, you know goal hopes on on your old's end for our neck of the woods down here, and what's kind of the what's the plans moving forward?
4: So we'll be issuing a final recommendation uh, based on all the information we've collected, both in our prior research and everything that we learned while we were down in West Virginia. Um, but in terms of our goals, they really are, you know, we want to be able to help a coal field effectuate its goals. And primarily when we were talking to Brandon on Monday, uh, it was about increasing labor participation and primarily, you know, creating more desirable jobs, you know, as a, as a redeeming, uh, as a redeeming activity for West Virginians, uh, as, as the state and really as the, as the country and the world as a whole participate in a transitioning economy. Um, so, you know, all that to say, we want, we want to be able to help Coalfield do what Coalfield wants to do.
3: Yeah. I think Brandon's, you know, in our first meeting said he wants to meet West Virginians where they are. And so, you know, I think our recommendations, you know, really are going to be centered around that statement. You know, how can Coalfield development and and other groups and people within West Virginia meet West Virginians where they are. And, you know, when we were there, we found that that West Virginians are a have a lot of pride for their state. There's a lot of resilience. They know that, you know, there's a daunting task to to kind of bring West Virginia to where it, it should and, and could be. But, you know, they they didn't really shy away from that. You know, they they believe it can get there and, and they're willing to put put the work in. And so how can we assist those people, no matter where they are in in their journey, um, you know, personally or entrepreneurially, how can we meet them where they are and, and assist them moving forward so that, you know, they can continue to build West Virginia into an even greater state?
2: And I hope that, you know, through as we finish the recommendations here this year, it will set us up for continued collaboration with Coalfield Development. Each year, we've learned so much from Coalfield and from West Virginians um, to advance our own understanding of the role that business plays in society and to kind of use the moral imagination of seeing the world for its possibilities. So we hope that you know, we'll be back collaborating together um, well into the future.
0: Well, I certainly hope the partnership continues for the foreseeable future. And um, Michael, Dylan, Patrick, Kelly, Jack, I can't thank you all enough for being guests on the show. I've learned a lot. This has, been some, this has been great. It's been very, very good for me. And just appreciate the invaluable work that you all are doing for Coalfield and for the folks here in West Virginia. Certainly, certainly excited to see the future, what that holds for this partnership. So thank you all so much for being on the show today. Thank
5: you so much for having us. It's really, it was really exciting. When we first heard about this, we like, you sure you want to talk to us? <laughs> um, so, hopefully, hopefully, it was worth your time too. Cause, you know, we've just been grateful to have any, you know, interaction experience with you all, just cause it has been, it's been very meaningful for us as well. So,
3: yeah, just to echo what Pat said, thank you so much. And, and thanks for letting us visit your beautiful state. I mean, I think we picked. The perfect time of year to visit. Mm-hmm. Everything was in full bloom. It, it was awesome.
4: Next visit, will definitely be coming down and grabbing
3: some pepperoni rolls.
4: So there will be a next visit and there will be
0: pepperoni rolls. Please do. See you all. Take care. Change in the
1: Coalfields is a podcast created by Coalfield Development in the hills and hollers of West Virginia. Become a part of our mission to rebuild the Appalachian economy by going to our website, coalfield-development.org to make a donation. You can email us anytime at info at coalfield-development.org and subscribe to our
3: newsletter for more information on the podcast. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn by searching Coalfield Development. Check back soon for more episodes.